Uh, so we have another cut, and now she's flying with Tobias. Um, it took me a second to realize what they were doing, and that we had mm. done a cut, which just emphasizes the kind of weird dream logic that's happening. Um, and basically, Tobias like, "Are you okay?" <laughs> and she's like, "No." Do you want to talk about it? Can you talk about it? And she's like, uh, I'm not trying to be mean. All I really meant was that I don't want to lay something on you that you can't handle. Um, and <laughs> Tobias is like, gee, thanks for knowing me so well. Look, Rachel, I can handle it. What's going on? What's going on is that I'm sick of everybody acting like I'm some kind of warmonger when all I am is ready and willing to do my duty. Marco whines and slacks every chance he gets, so how come I get that bug-eyed look from everybody and Marco doesn't? Uh, and Tobias admonishes her, says, like, Marco carries his weight and you know it. And she's like, yeah, okay. Um, but he does complain a fucking lot. And Tobias is like, well, I don't think anybody says anything about it because he's saying what they're all thinking. Um, and <laughs> Rachel is like, so how come everybody doesn't tell him to can the, the complaints and get on with the job? How come I'm the bad guy? The others may not say the things Marco says, but basically everybody feels the same way he does. They don't really want to be a part of this. On the other hand, nobody really understands where you're coming from and never mind. He broke off and glided downward in a way. And what? I pressed, following. Tobias didn't answer. You said you could handle it, I reminded him. Okay, okay. I don't think anyone really understands where you're coming from, Rachel. You're too into it, and for a while we were all right with that, but now it's starting to freak everybody out. Uh, and then he asks her, would it gross you out if I had a little dinner? And he catches a rat. Um, there are a lot of rats, just like, sprinkled in throughout this book for obvious reasons um and to buy it and rachel has a moment of like where where, where does tobias get the nerve to talk to me about that when he's literally eating a rat <laughs> yes because those are the same thing uh-huh um and and as far as my being into it my liking it did they really think jake didn't Maybe Jake didn't like the bloodshed, but the larger battle? Of course Jake liked it. Who wouldn't? The thrill of command, the adrenaline, the victory. And you can, like, almost see her thoughts distorting in real time. Mm-hmm. Right? Because, like, we do know that Jake... I, don't, I wouldn't say Jake likes it, but I would say that Jake definitely... gets a sense of, like rightness to yeah, J jake can be righteous yeah like yeah this is the right place to be the right time we're doing what needs to be done it isn't like a mm, this is a happy feeling for me yeah um but does embrace that aspect mm -hmm. of it um and like it is that like knowing my people are safe mm -hmm. pushing back the enemy it isn't the same thing as enjoyment necessarily, but mm -hmm. I think that's how he takes solace in it, you know? Mm -hmm. At least that's how it reads from my perspective. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do find it interesting that Dream Tobias 
has this view that everybody feels the way Marco does, mm-hmm. which is patently untrue. <laughs> also, like for the fact that Marco out loud does a lot of complaining and is scared a lot in his head he's all like yeah also i'm gonna do the fight i hate it Mm -hmm. but i'm gonna do it Mm -hmm. but it's interesting to get this take uh from rachel about Mm -hmm. how marco's coping mechanisms come across to her Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh... and again that hearing somebody complain constantly when you're trying to just get a job done is awful Yes. Like, just like, this is already hard. You're actually making it worse. Yeah. Can you just not? Yeah. There's, there's a difference and it, it brings to mind, there's a, there's a post that went around at some point, or maybe it was a Twitter thread that was like, uh, people should really learn to embrace, uh, and, and I'm using their words here. I'm not, I'm, this is, this isn't my, uh, like Jewish complaining. Um, where like there is, there is a bit of a cultural acceptance, um, in the Jewish culture of, uh, like something bad happens and you're like, well, fuck me. Why did this happen to happen right now? And like the ability to kind of vocalize that and then that allowing you to move past it. Right. Like, I think the example was like, you spill all of your groceries in the parking lot. And then you're like, the fuck bag? You couldn't do your fucking job? What are, what are you doing? Like, um, and, and you pick up your shit. Yeah. And then, and then you, do and it. Then you, exactly. And like that, that is the kind of coping mechanism that I see Marco employing is like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna complain the whole time because this really does actually suck. Um, but I'm gonna do it. Whereas, Rachel is very much on the side of the spectrum, like you mentioned, of like, this is already so hard. <laughs> you complaining just reminds me of how hard it is. Uh, and it's just, it's interesting to see that as a kind of dichotomy of, um, of, of coping mechanisms, right? Yeah, and it, it's interesting when you think about it, like, because there are some instances where Rachel and Marco are so similar in how they approach mm-hmm. things. And it's it's like when I think about how, like, sometimes I can be so compatible with somebody. Uh, like, we always talk about, like, uh, when somebody else is like, neurodivergence plays nicely with ours and then doesn't, or right up until it doesn't. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's like... It's so much worse when you hit a bump because, oh, it was so great and I thought you got it and now you do this. I'm sorry, mm. you like doing what? You <laughs> are a nightmare person. Take back everything nice I ever said about you because you do <laughs> this. Um, I'm not saying it's a rational behavior, but again, this just adds to that isolating feeling, isolated feeling that Rachel has because mm-hmm. a lot of the time she feels like actually I do vibe with Marco he does understand and then he mm-hmm. complains the whole time mm-hmm. so do- he doesn't understand because otherwise he wouldn't be complaining right and it's just that distance as a result mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but yeah as with this this dream uh Rachel flies off there's this red winking light of a radio tower seemingly to beckon this red light will come back um and then we just get 
the brutal fucking smack talk, as it mm-hmm. were, mm-hmm. of um, Marco might be speaking for Cassie, Axe, and Tobias, but not for Jake. Jake wasn't a whining coward at heart like Marco. Jake wasn't over-emotional like Cassie. He wasn't withdrawn and passive like Tobias or a blindly faithful follower like Axe. Jake was like me, strong, brave, and aggressive. Wait, that's it. Jake was threatened by me, so threatened that he was trying to turn the others against me, trying to demoralize me, trying to be sure I didn't take over. Paranoia is bad for your kids. Yeah, like I said, it's you can see her thoughts distorting in yeah. real time. And you have to wonder <laughs> like, how much of this is also being exacerbated by the presence of Krayak. Oh, uh, almost all of it. Like, it, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's like, like there are these there are these grains of like the thoughts that you mm-hmm. have in the back of your head when you're at your mm-hmm. meanest and hungriest. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And Rachel, you need a burger, kids. Exactly. And and just it feeding off of dream logic and also off of Krayak energy of just like this snowball mm-hmm. of being unable to leave that thought spiral and it just getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Uh-huh. And what's interesting is the these assessments of the others aren't true. Mm-hmm. There is a, a kernel of truth in them because Marco does whine and he does admit his fear, but he's not a coward. Mm-hmm. And, can, and calling Cassie over-emotional feels deeply unfair. Like, mm-hmm. she has emotional reactions, she lets her emotions guide her, but she can also be cold when she needs to. They're just and different like, emotions to, from Rachel. Yeah, and Tobias isn't passive. He's yeah. observant, but he is always getting involved. Like, he mm-hmm. is just does what he needs to do, and acts as a... We have recently seen just how not faithfully following Axe is. Mm-hmm. And the ter- gets using blindly faithful when we've, like a chapter ago, she was talking about how perceptive Axe is. Mm-hmm. Like, she's contradicting herself here. Mm-hmm. Just like underscoring those sort of like, yeah, when you, what, yeah, no, you hate everybody, hungry. Everybody hates you, sleepy. Um, but she's having nightmares constantly. When did this girl properly sleep? This is what we were talking uh-huh. about with Jake in the last book. Uh-huh. Like, hate this for her. Um, but um, she corrects her course and finds herself like being drawn to this red light and she can't turn away from it. And she describes it as feeling like being in the grip of a tractor beam. She's being pulled towards this tower. I've said it before, and if I hadn't known this was going to be Craig, she's like, mm, yes, big Eye of Sauron vibes. <laughs> um, but I do like that there's the phrasing here that she's going to crash and burn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she recognizes that she is going to crash and then burn. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she's woken up again. Again. Yeah. Um, and well, the old nightmare within a nightmare. Um, yeah. but it, it's still dark out. Uh, she's been woken up by her mum yelling for breakfast. Um, tries to ground herself in the present. Um, I think it's a thing later, just like, um, don't give in to what you think, G- concentrate on your senses, not your brain. Which I thought, hmm, 
That's a good tip to remember for the next time I get a panic attack. Wicked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But she can see out the window this same blinking light on top of a radio tower. Uh, She gets dressed. She heads downstairs. uh, Can hear her mum doing laundry downstairs. Gets the observation about how her mum's a morning person. uh, Full of furious, noisy energy, which is just like, good to know Rachel's like a mum then. Um, <laughs> pours herself with some juices. She's just sort of like thinking over the stuff in her dreams. Uh, what of it was real? What was it not? Like, yeah, there's references to the Yerks popping up on the internet, but uh, it doesn't mean much. But what if people do start to believe? What if this thing does start to get some real play? Probably mean an escalation of conflict. Um, and then talk. And then as her brain sort of like, oh, what does this mean? What does this mean? Um, her brain t- turns to well. Unless we're willing, we're going to have, like, we've got no people. We don't have enough people unless we give more people the morphing ability. And yet that was dangerous. We tried it once. The result was not pleasant. The result was David. David, who had been a kid just like us. David, who had turned traitor and tried to sell us out to the Yerks. David, who was no longer David because we had deliberately trapped him in Ratmorph and left him on a barren rock island with nothing but wind, rain, and other rats for company. Suddenly, the sweet juice turned sour in my mouth. My appetite disappeared. That usually happens when I think about David. I can't help it. Every time the memory surfaces, I feel afraid and guilty. What we'd done to David hadn't been fair, though at the time it seemed the only solution, short of murder. Still, the idea was Cassie's. She determined that forcing David to become an Olithet was kinder, um, sorry, Anothwit. It was kinder in the end than killing him. Sometimes I wonder, kinder for who? For David or for us? Which is what I've been screaming about for the past mm-hmm. 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I'm the one who morphed a rat and went down into the dirt with David. The one who bit off her own tail to catch him in our makeshift trap. It was a dirty job. Somebody had had to do it and as usual I'd been the one. I'd been the only one with the stomach to stay with David for the full two hours it took for him to lose everything, to cease to be human, to become a rat, permanently. Actually, Axe did stay with me to keep track of time, maybe also to give me support. And when it was over, he told me he never wanted to talk about what we'd done, ever. Um, And then we're just like, well, it's stupid to be guilty. David had been a threat. Uh, to everything not just to them he might be dead now how long does a rat live anyway uh, a thought that is punctuated by the snapping of a trap um, as her mum is shrieking about a rat being caught in a trap down there um, and asks Rachel honey can you come down here and do something with it you know these things make me sick and Rachel just like projecting hard in this moment, just like, because, like, yeah, her mum doesn't know anything to do with the animals or the Yerk invasion. She's not trying to insult Rachel. Nothing about her. We've read it. Like, there's nothing about what her mum just said that implied anything. But, as the book says, in that moment, she was just one more person who thought that when there was dirty work to be done, Rachel was the one to do it. And then Rachel does it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes downstairs. She takes the rat out to the garbage. Um, there's a moment 
Uh, she sees Tobias circling overhead. You get the sense that he does this every morning to kind of like walk her to school kind of deal. Um, and, uh, she wonders for a moment if he has his eye on this rat that she's putting in the garbage because he's been having a hard time hunting lately because there's been a drought. Um, and, this makes her feel kind of sick. So she just like makes sure she closes the lid on the trash can extra tight. Um, and she thinks there was a time when Tobias had hidden his feeding habits from me, a time when he had been ashamed of killing eating, unbearably humiliated at having in harm hard times to scavenge garbage and roadkill. But Tobias had shed his inhibitions, had learned to follow his animal instincts and to do what he had to do. Uh, and she has this thought, maybe Tobias wasn't the only one who'd faced up to himself. Was that what my dreams were about? Shedding my inhibitions, following my instincts, doing what I had to do, becoming the leader. Um, which again is these distorted thoughts just kind of like breaking away into reality. Um, and she goes to school and very much, um, you you do get the sense of just the general kind of dissociation that she lives with whenever she's at school. Um, she feels like she's watching everyone from behind a plexiglass window because she just can't relate to any of the people here, which makes sense. Um, she's like, I don't know how long I can keep at the pretense. I feel like I'm going to explode. But I do have some self-control in spite of what Jake and the others think. Um, I wouldn't say or do anything that might blow my cover. Uh, and she sees Jake says hi. He says hi back. He, well, he like gives her a nod and keeps going. And she's like, yeah, we play it cool at school because we don't want to give anyone the sense that we are like constantly hanging out together because that could lead to them knowing who we are. Um, and she can't help but wonder, like, was Jake's nod just a little colder than usual? Was there something less than friendly? Was he still mad at me because I disobeyed him at the White House? Hold it. The White House thing had been a dream. I hadn't disobeyed Jake's orders. I hadn't tried to kill him. And you very much, and I have had dreams like this, where it's like you spend the whole fucking day just like having to, to tease apart the emotions that you got from the dream um and like it's influencing how you're acting in real life because the emotions feel real and i mean they are real um even though if the actions that uh uh, uh inspired them aren't and just like that influencing how you're acting throughout the day and just like how you're interacting with other people because like you know i'm sure everybody regardless of whether they have anxiety or not has had like a weird sexual dream about like a stranger or like an acquaintance and then it becomes really awkward to interact with them like all the time uh like that but you know for everything and with uh much more anxiety involved um and just 
she she is having an extremely hard time being grounded in the present, which I am fucking sure is not helped at all by her PTSD. Like, uh-huh. Uh, she, uh, she's having a hard, a really hard time. Her PTSD and her insomnia. You know, just a wonderful cocktail of things. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, but she sits down in class. The the English teacher is reading about the Telltale Heart. Um, which once again we have a book where Rachel is comparing herself to the book they're reading in English class. Uh, which you know we we all read things and and uh, engage in media, and it's like oh that that hit uncomfortably close. Um, but so she sits at the desk and she's just kind of like not doing well. The teacher's writing stuff on the chalkboard and Rachel is literally hallucinating that red light taking up the entire front of the classroom, like unable to see the board or the teacher writing on it. Um, she looks around, looks back, the, the light is gone. She leans her head against the, the wall of the classroom, um, because it, you know, it feels cool and, uh, grounding. And she hears rats in the walls. Um, and she, she is, uh, kind of losing it. Um, she's hearing David in the wall. Someone crying, help me. Don't do this to me. Um, and the teacher's like, Hey, Rachel, are you okay? Because she really does not look okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, Rachel's like, uh, no, I'm fine. Uh, yep, nope, totally cool. Nothing here to be concerned about. <laughs> and the teacher's like, why don't you go get some water and come back? <laughs> and Rachel's like, she probably just doesn't want me throwing up in her classroom, which, you know, fair. <laughs> and so she just leaves, goes to get water. She thinks she hears someone behind her say, why do you care what Jake thinks? A leader learns to live without approval. Um, because, again, she is thinking about David and thinking about how guilty she feels over David. Um, and, you know, she doesn't need to feel guilty about it uh, because they hadn't had a choice. Even Jake had agreed that there wasn't a choice. And this voice behind her is like, why does it matter? that Jake agreed there was no choice. Um, but there's nobody there, of course. And so she <laughs> writes a note to Cassie, be like, please meet me after school at the barn, and just fucking leaves. Um, fair, honestly. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like at this point, you just need to go home and sleep and just call yeah. in sick because holy fuck. Um, but she goes to the mall. She goes to the mall. Rather than home for a nap, you know. Mm -hmm. But to be fair, you know, the mall is Rachel's happy place. <laughs> and uh, we get a sentence of, I spent the rest of the day at the mall, and then I headed to the barn. And by the time she was, she's heading to the barn, she feels a little silly because the mall worked to kind of help her 
reorient herself. Um, and she goes to the barn and is about 20 yards away when Cassie, screaming, runs out of the barn with 200 rats following behind her, climbing up her legs, across her shoulders, down her arms, biting and scratching her. Like... Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> and immediately you, the reader, are like, oh, this is this is another dream. This sounds like just the, you know, an absolutely fucking horrendous sequence of dreams. But it has to be another dream because that doesn't make any fucking sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cassie begins to morph. Um... Rachel is like, uh, what What do I do to kill 200 rats? Uh, without hurting Cassie. Like, without hurting Cassie. Um, and she's like, whatever, just more grizzly. And then another rat pack of hundreds of rats come out of the bush and attack Rachel. Again, climbing up her legs, across her shoulders, down her jacket. Um... And she screams to Cassie, go to the pond. Um, and she dives into the water and basically holds her breath until all of the rats either let go or drown. Um, and she's, you know, starting to push her way towards the surface. Um, when something grabs her ankle and yanks her down deeper into the lake. Um, and then she goes unconscious. Everything goes black. And she feels like she's floating, drifting, there but not there. Me but not me. A dream. Another level of an ongoing nightmare. A nightmare structured like an intricate labyrinthine game. And then I opened my eyes, peered not through the water, but through a gloom. And she's on a stage set in a dungeon. A huge cavernous dungeon with stone walls slick with damp and slime. There are candles in elaborate wall sconces. Uh, spectacular cobwebs hanging from the walls and the ceilings. Mice scurrying in and out of the, sh out of the shadows. The place stinks of garbage and sewage. And there's, uh, she can hear the sound of dripping water. This is where she has that moment. Easy, Rachel, concentrate. Use your senses, not your imagination. Yeah, because she does start thinking about, like, murderers and things like that. And vampires. Yeah. Um, and she puts together, like, I'm in, I'm somewhere in the sewer system, but how had I gotten here? She realizes she can't stand. She's in some kind of box on an elevated platform, like a table, maybe. Um, she's stuck with basically her arms wrapped around her, like in a, in a feet, stay, sitting up fetal position. Um, arms wrapped around knees, kind of head bent over her knees. Um, she can't straighten up or stretch out without hitting the sides of the box. The box is only big enough to fit her in this position kind of thing. Um, she can't see uh, much of what she, there, what, where she is. There are some air holes in the box, kind of along the top. Um, and she thinks, okay, um, 
I probably can't morph something big because what if the box doesn't break? I'd just squish myself. Um, and she realizes she can't morph anything like an insect because there's insecticide all over the bottom of the box. Um, and her first thought is Yerks, but something tells her, no, whatever this is, it is not Yerks because they're thinking they're one, this is way too elaborate. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, they, they've thought of everything. They know that she's a morpher. Um, some two punks come in. Uh, they're just, des they're described as like grungy late teen punks. Um, and, uh, they seem to be clearly taking some kind of orders. They're like, oh, look, she's right here where he said they would be. Um, uh, you know what they remind me of? Um, fucking. Vulcan Skull from, uh, yes. Power Rangers? Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh huh. Um, and that's Drift compatibility, baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does Rachel end up calling them? Grease and. And tattoo. Because one of them yeah. has a tattoo of a rat on his cheek. Because subtlety is for, uh, cowards. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, and Rachel's just trying to tell herself stay calm assess before you act don't do anything stupid um, and then Grease pulls out a rat from his pocket and Rachel immediately begins having flashbacks to David because obviously, um, and to, like, just the way that David would talk to her and all that sort of shit. Um, and Grease puts the rat down right in front of her uh, on the other side of the clear wall of the cube. Um, and she senses some kind of intelligence in this rat. Um, and of course, of course, the rat is David. Hello, Rachel, said the rat. Did you miss me? I wasn't surprised. I wasn't scared either. This was a dream, just another dream. I'd wakened from the others. I'd wake from this one too. David, I said, feeling more curious than anything else. I was smarter than any of you. Surprised? No, I answered truthfully. I shifted, tried to find some way to be comfortable inside the cube. My right foot was falling asleep. My lower back was beginning to ache. It was time to wake up. Scared? The rat named David asked. No, I answered truthful again. And then the rat chuckled. Oh, well, it's still early on. And no, Rachel, this isn't a dream. You're not going to wake up. Not this time. Um, and, <laughs> and then David is like, uh, so are you gonna ask me to do my villain monologue, or do I have to just start it myself? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I'm she sure doesn't. This is not a good book, but I fucking love this fucking. <laughs> okay, and conceptually, I love the notion of this thirteen-year-old, now fourteen-year-old boy who's been stuck mm -hmm. as a rat for a year, just thinking, composing his monologue in his head. <laughs> Like, on a conceptual level, 
That's incredible. Because if you think about the reality of a child being trapped and having nothing to think about but like horrible action movies with bad guys that monologue, mm-hmm, it becomes mm-hmm, very distressing. Mm-hmm. And it's much more fun to imagine a very irate looking rat trying to think about what to say. Yep. We, are, we stand the great mouse detective in this house as well as Ratatouille. <laughs> and unfortunately for the reference to DreamWorks and Disney at the start, is not helping the talking rat comparisons. I gotta yeah. say, uh, I'm gonna read at least the first bit of this chapter because it's got it's some good. good stuff in there. Uh, Would you, by any chance, want to know how I got here? David asked abruptly. He scurried along the outside wall of the cube, nose quivering, malevolent, beady rat eyes shining, satisfying himself that I was really, truly trapped. Would you, by any chance, want to know what it was like after you abandoned me on that rock island? What it was like all those months alone, barely surviving, trying not to go crazy? Suddenly and certainly, I knew this was not a dream. Suddenly, I felt dread, heavy, leaden, and cold, draining down my limbs. Ah, flashback line, it has to work or we, all of us, we will have to become killers. I didn't want to know David's story, didn't want to hear anything he had to say. I could imagine it all well enough. I had imagined it, over and over, even when I didn't want to, even when I tried not to. And when I did imagine David's situation, when the grim images of isolation invaded my brain, I invariably broke out in a cold sweat. David sat up on his hind legs, his little pink nose twitching in the air, searching for food. You didn't have the guts to kill me, Rachel, so you left me on a rock and hoped that nature would do your dirty work for you. David hadn't asked who the mastermind of the plan was. I felt a hot flush cover my neck and face. He was right. We had. David had zeroed in on the discomforting truth. It was horrible, Rachel, he went on. His voice was controlled, but barely. In it, I heard incipient mania, madness. It was horrible being a rat with human intelligence. Do you know what that means? It means that every time I was forced to eat a piece of putrefying flesh, my human brain was revolted. Every single day, the rat's need to survive made me do things my human brain found humiliating, degrading, gross. I feel that way every time I eat in the school cafeteria, I said, determined not to let him see he was getting to me. Leave the one-liners to Marco, David snapped. He's good at being funny, sometimes, but you're good at dirty work. I recoiled. Maybe David was perceptive. perceptive. Maybe he just had a good memory. Yes, I'm smart, he said, as if he'd read my mind. That's what got me into trouble with you Animorphs in the first place. But it's also what saved my life on that island. And it's what's going to bring me back and put me on top. What are you talking about? Even to my own ears, my voice was thin, uneasy. I'm talking about beating the Animorphs, the Yerks, and the entire human race, David said, lethal now. Life, like being the smartest rat on an island of rock and rodents, is what you make it, Rachel. You Animorphs thought you were condemning me to a fate worse than death, but I turned the experience into an opportunity. An opportunity to develop my intelligence to an almost supernatural level. Suddenly, David the Rat scampered in a circle, then another, tighter, faster, then another, like a rodent-worving dervish like he was trying to throw off some bad feeling or a bad itch. After about ten revolutions, he came to a rest, once again facing me. Briefly, I thought about making a snide remark about his getting himself some Prozac or lithium or whatever, but I kept my mouth shut. 
David spoke, his voice breathless from the manic exertion. At first, the monotony, the loneliness, was unbearable, and during day after endless day on that rock, exposed to the elements, alone except for thousands of other rats, marooned somehow like me. But I survived, Rachel, oh yes, and eventually I befriended a few of my more intelligent brothers and sisters. I promised to lead them off the island if they would bring me food and obey me. Long story short, they did. How could they not? They were compelled to obey. They knew a natural-born leader when they saw one, and now my forces are here. And he goes on uh, to talk about how uh, some naturalists came to the island, and uh, he had uh, some of the rats, like, uh, partly dis distract them. Uh, and while they were out counting birds or whatever the fuck, he and his lieutenants snuck aboard their boat and hid. Um, and uh, then once they got to dry land, he sent his lieutenants out to recruit and they did a great job. His force is, what does he say, over 200 strong of rats. But I'm not finished. You know how many more rats there are in the world? Billions. And I will lead them all. And I like Rachel just like, okay, so now what? <laughs> um, and, uh, and she looks at these two punks and is like, you realize you're working for a rat, right? And they're like, yeah, but he pays well. And he's like, yeah, I've been stealing money a few bills at a time. I've amassed $212,000. <laughs> But it's in a it, it's safe in a place no human could find, and there's more where that came from. And uh, Rachel's like, "All right, whatever. Why the fuck am I here? If you're poised to rule the world, what do you want with me?" And David says, "Can't you guess? I want justice. I want poetic justice. I am going to do to you what you did to me: trap you, take away your freedom of choice forever." I'm going to make you become a rat permanently. Uh, and uh, Rachel is horrified by this idea, but at the same time, she still has a presence of mind to be like, well, that's not justice, that's revenge. I'm not a criminal. And David's like, Jake said there were rules. Rules about using the morphing technology for good instead of evil. Rules about what you could do to people and what you couldn't. How come he wasn't worrying about the rules when he told you to do this to me? And she's like, Jake didn't tell me to do it. And David is surprised by this. Um, you came, you decided to trap me all on your own without orders from Jake? Wow, I'm surprised. I thought the Animorphs were supposed to be disciplined. Um, and she doesn't, she doesn't know what to say because she doesn't want to, uh, say that the plan was Cassie's. Um, even now, she's kind of taking on that blame so that Cassie doesn't get it. Um, she keeps thinking about how she hadn't had any choice, how um, that she was a logical one for Jake, for Jake to send along with David because David had a personal grudge against her. Um, and she's just like, I did what I had to do when you were threatening us, when you thought, when we thought you'd killed Tobias, Jake sent me after you because he knew I would do what was necessary. Um, 
And David's like, you think you're a soldier, some kind of noble warrior? You're If you're a real warrior, then these guys are caped crusaders, pointing at the two punks. Um, and he, he turns to the, to the henchman and is like, let me tell you what she did to me. And basically gives his version of the story, um, which puts him Does sound pretty bad. It does sound pretty bad. Um, especially when he leaves out all the parts about, like, animal murder and killing (laughs) Tobias. Um, or thinking he killed Tobias. Uh, and Rachel just kind of like sits there embarrassed. Um, because he talks about how, you know, Rachel threatened to kill me and my parents. Um, so on and so forth. <laughs> I like that one of these two punks looks at her and like almost it's like, like gives her a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> this did not make me feel any better. <laughs> um uh, we get more of like these uh movement ticks of David's, um, which I think really speak to how his experience fucked him up. Um mm-hmm. and he's like, You crack me up, Rachel. You want credit for being some dedicated war hero hero when all you are is just another punk. You're all hypocrites, all of you animorphs. From Jake the sanctimonious killer to you the psycho. But I don't care about Jake and the others. It was you, Rachel. You were the bad guy, and you're going to pay big time. I'm going to make you. And she's like, You can't make me. That's not how it works. Um, and he's like, sure, I can. Morph now. And she's like, listen, I would rather die than be stuck a rat with you. Um, because he has, like, the punks draw guns or whatever. And David's like, it's not that easy. You and I both know it's not going to be that easy. And he reveals that he has captured Cassie as well. And Cassie is in another box. Um, on the other side of the room, um, but her box doesn't have air holes in it. And David says, morph rat now, and I will put an air hole in for Cassie. If you don't, then Cassie will die. Um, and, uh, down. There's a lot of back and like, forth between Rachel and David. Yeah, like, but he he knows to target Cassie basically. Mm-hmm. Like it wouldn't have worked with anybody else. Um, but there's this this there's this back and forth. Uh, Cassie looks like uh, is mouthing like don't do it. Um, but there's this moment. Uh, again, we still get these lines of um, her admonishing herself, uh, flashing back to that conversation with Jake in the hospital, mm-hmm. uh, and is thinking about Jake. Uh, so when David like appears to read her mind, um, it really sort of snaps her out of this thought process. Uh, and she realizes he's psyching her out. Mm-hmm. Um, but doesn't really know how he's doing it. Um, but she um, shoots him down hard. Um, and it, this seems to like hit David hard. 
uh, and he's like rocked by this um, and looks like almost like he's crying. Uh, and then he he is crying and Rachel hates this. She feels awful, cruel um, and like second guessing herself and goes to maybe comfort him because she's like, well, maybe I can bring him back, give him a fresh start. And then we get this fucking power line from mm-hmm. David of, uh, you're already a Nuthlet, he said quietly. What? You stopped being human long ago, Rachel. No human could have done what you did to me. I wasn't evil, Rachel, just troubled. Now it's my turn. I said you'd pay, and today's the day. And then we see this glowing red light again. Uh, And the reveal that it's Cassie here and that he will kill her. Mm -hmm. Um, And he just starts laughing. And then Rachel hears this giggle that isn't David. And it's like, what the fuck? As one might. Um, And she can hear, well, she can't hear Cassie. She can see Cassie screaming at her not to morph, begging her to not sacrifice her life. Uh, just to save hers. Um, and Rachel's like trying to beg her to stop so she doesn't use up all the oxygen. Um, and this is the moment, like David yelling at her, these uh, punks threatening Cassie, and she morphs rat. Um, and now this uh, digital clock is set right in front of the cube. Um, and David is there leaning on it, uh, <laughs> posturing, um, two hours, just two hours of hell. And then it's you and me rats together forever. Um, and here we have the crux of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel starts investigating the box, the cube she's in. Now she's got the space to properly move. Uh, they get the back and like, oh, there's no way out. And uh, one of the punks uh, starts shoving rotted food into the box as well. As Dave's like, just try it. Not so bad when you get used to it. Um, and just because apparently David aspires to movie levels of villainy, well, one of the punks is shoving rotten food into the uh, cube to uh, encourage Rachel to eat. He's getting fresh bread and grapes set in front of him um he's just like luckily i'm a genius <laughs> i've managed to rise above my stage in life see i'm a rat but i'm also the big cheese get it and i'm just like oh what a loser <laughs> oh he fucking sucks it's great um <laughs> and then in her head yeah pure genius um but and then we get more musing on right, about how David gets others to do his dirty work. Um, I, how he doesn't like going into places where he knows he's hated. Uh, don't you? I wouldn't know. And she's like, shouldn't have said anything. Shouldn't have given him reason to keep talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get more of this manipulation from, and we find out this isn't David coming up with all of this by himself. He's being fed lines. Mm-hmm. to be clear but we don't find out from who just yet um but he starts preying on the insecurities that she already has it's just like 
You know the others hate you. You know they'll be relieved when you're gone. Then you're not their problem anymore. That they don't have to worry about what wacko Rachel is going to do next. And even as she's trying to like tell David he doesn't know what he's talking about, she's replaying Jake's words in her head that he thinks there's something pretty dark inside her, that he worries about her. Um, and David's like, this is my perfect plan because they can't control you, but they won't kill you. So here we are. Happy middle ground. <laughs> um, Which is very doubting reminiscent herself. of mm-hmm. how the Animorphs thought of him. Mm-hmm. We can't control you, but we can't kill you. So we trap you as a Nothlin. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the Animorphs mm-hmm. way, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and Rachel's like, well, is he right? Would they be relieved? Uh, maybe deep down they would be. Um, and then she starts railing against sort of that line of thought. Um, not that the line of thought is incorrect, but that this theoretical feeling that the fr- her friends are having is real and unfair. Mm-hmm. Because since the beginning, she's only done what had to be, need to be did, needed to be done. What nobody else had wanted to do. Was anybody grateful? Grateful for the sacrifices I'd made? No. And he just keep and he keeps going about how the animals don't appreciate her um, because they haven't figured out who they are. They haven't defined their goals. Not like you. Uh, you don't have goals because you don't know what they are. I know you can't achieve goals if you don't know what they are, and that's why he is sort of going to succeed because he knows what his goals are. And uh, David's plan is to spread the bubonic plague. <laughs> you know. You know, um, the thing that we have antibiotics for. Yeah. Um, because if they kill off a big bunch of the human population by spreading the bubonic plague around, um, the Yerks won't be interested. Mm-hmm. Talking about how he's going to rule the world with his uh, n- something more powerful than a nuclear arsenal with the bubonic plague spreading rats. Mm-hmm. Just like, bitch, it wasn't even the rats. It was the fleas on the rats. Pay more attention mm-hmm. in history, Bo. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, and um, and for some reason, Rachel is distressed enough to realize that uh, maybe David's plan is actually not that crazy, even if he is. Uh, her words, mm-hmm. not mine. Uh, and she she almost starts to hear his words as this kind of droning. Uh, uh, hypnotizing kind of procession of thoughts, right? It's very like um, trust in me, hypno, very like mm-hmm. Disney villain, yeah, hypnosis, very car in the jungle mm-hmm, book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she feels compelled, uh, and so she's kind of in this like weird hypnotic state when uh, when she hears him say, and if you were to destroy Jake, well then, the other Animorphs would follow you without question, right? Uh, right, Rachel? Uh, and she finds herself thinking, Jake doesn't even know how to use his power, and she kind of just, like, in this weird trance-like state, says, right. Um, and then uh, there is a high-pitched laughter, and 
she kind of snaps out of it and looks at the clock and a lot of time has gone by. And there's this weird humming sound and, oh, that red light is back. Um, and it's coming from a large red eye. Um, and Cassie is once again pounding on the wall of her cube and yelling at Rachel to demorph. Don't get trapped. Don't let them do this to you. And she looks at David and he looks so small and powerless. And Rachel is just like, wait, reality check. And David's like, I es everything I told you is true. I escaped from the island. I have a plan to rule the world. I, rats are not sentient creatures. I interrupted. They don't take orders. They don't organize. They can't be rallied like troops and they don't attack people on command. David chittered and lay on his belly. You might be a rat with human intelligence, but that doesn't make you Dr. Doolittle. You can talk to me and you can talk to your punks, but you can't talk to other rats. You don't know what you're saying. You don't know anything, David cried. Shut up, shut up. Which means that what happened outside the barn couldn't have happened, I went on, my brain worrying. And what you said happened on the island, you're building a loyal following, couldn't have happened. Which means that this, right now, can't be happening either. I looked over at Cassie. She was smiling. And then Cassie wasn't Cassie. She became a creature we had encountered before, the Drode, an intergalactic trickster, two legs, body held forward and balanced by a stubby tail, like a bird or a small dinosaur. Its hands were flimsy, weak, its head was vaguely human in shape, the eyes in that head wide-set, intelligent, laughing, cruel, the Drode, the creature who'd once offered me a deal, who'd called me Rachel of the Dark Heart, the Drode. Sidekick to the most powerful and malevolent force in the universe, a force that had vowed revenge when Jake had doomed its childlike salt killers, the Howlers. A force that could be balanced only by the Elemist, a being whose powers were equally comprehensive, whose motives were seemingly good. But this was not the Elemist. This was the force that had haunted Jake's dreams. And now, I realized, mine too. Krayak. Uh, and th our our favorite shit heel is here. 